Welcome to This Is Comp, a series of Discord and Rhyme minisodes where we crawl through various artist compilations song by song. Roll call, Mike DeFabio. Rich Bennell. And Amanda Rogers. We are covering tracks 20 through 26 of our Africa playlist. And this time around, we're talking about artists from Niger and Nigeria. Yeah, and just to start out with, I just wanted to say something real quick. We've been getting a lot of emails about this series, which is honestly really awesome. It means so much to us that you guys not only listen to us talk about this music, but then take the time to actually share your thoughts with us. That's really, really great, and we love it. And, of course, we welcome corrections when we get something wrong, but... We want to remind everybody that we're music fans. We're not historians or anthropologists or ethnomusicologists or really any kind of experts at all. So I just want to advise you not to mistake this podcast for something it is not. <laughs> like our, our scope is limited here. So we do our best, but we cannot possibly cover everything. But like I said, if we get something egregiously wrong, we do want to know about it. Just, you know, please use good manners when you email us. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. we're human and we need to be loved, just like everybody else does. <laughs> I'm not always on board with Morrissey, but, you know, he, he was right about that one. Yeah, we're going at this as curious rock fans, like I said in the last episode. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're, learning, all, we're learning about all this stuff while we're, while we're making this. Mm-hmm. So. And I tried to provide some links in the show description uh, of some of the research I did in preparing for, this epi- uh, for these episodes, just uh, in, in case you want to like dig a little deeper and like find out more about these artists. Yeah, I've got a couple of interesting sources here, too. Well, let's get started. All right. All right. So track 20 on our Africa playlist is by Mdu Maktar, and it's called Adunia. <laughs> sweet gateway drug. Adunia comes from the 2015 film Akunak Tadalak Taha Tazugai, a Tuareg language homage to Prince's Purple Rain. So Minneapolis by itself gets about three times the annual rainfall of all of Niger, so that's already a pretty interesting title for a movie set in the Sahara. And to top it off, there is no word for purple in Tomashek, the language that the movie is filmed in, so the title literally translates to rain the color blue with a little red in it, and that's what it says on IMDb in the official entry. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> so the movie is available to rent on Vimeo, so I decided to check it out. And it's very well worth watching and only 75 minutes long. Uh, so it follows the plot beats of Purple Rain only in the very broadest sense, with uh, with Mdu Mukhtar basically telling his own story. 
So the movie takes place in and around the city of Agadez, smack dab in the middle of the Nigerian desert. Uh, so similar to the music scene in Mali, which I which I described a couple of episodes ago, a lot of how musicians in Niger build their name is by playing weddings and spreading their music on local cell phone networks, and like not not via cell phone towers. I mean person to person via Bluetooth, uh, via Bluetooth connections, and uh, all of that is in the movie. Uh, so the movie opens at a wedding where the attendees refer to him like in really excited hushed whispers as uh, quote the cell phone guy. And, and the movie's equivalent of the villainous Morris Day from the time uh, pays a kid to record one of the, his songs on cell phones so they can steal it for the film's climactic battle of the bands. So uh, Emdu composes Adunia from a, from a poem written by his father, who strongly opposed his, his desire to become a musician, uh, just like his real father. Uh, and it becomes the film's show-stopping finale, where, big spoiler, he wins. And so the title of the song means life, and the full phrase is life changes color like a chameleon between the trees, which I really like. That's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's a nice desert equivalent of yeah. uh, of purple rain. <laughs> yeah. So I'll have more to say about Emdu Mukhtar himself on the next song. But if you're thinking, hmm, this song doesn't sound much like Prince, uh, that's probably because Emdu had never heard of him. <laughs> Everything about his music is homegrown. Uh, he even built his first guitar himself out of bicycle cables and wood uh, <laughs> with only five strings because the wood wasn't wide enough for six. Um, and on top of that, he's a lefty. So when he did graduate to actual guitars, they always had to be restrung. There's something about self-taught musicians who have some sort of little obstacle that they have to work around that just a lot of times ends up being amazing because mm-hmm. yeah. you end up working out really creative ways to try to sound like the thing you want to sound like. And this this worked out really well for Amdu Mukhtar. <laughs> I think he's a fantastic guitarist. Mm-hmm. The song is so good. I really like how it builds up in the beginning and then it maintains that really interesting sound the whole time. And I often get impatient with long, noodly guitar solos, but this isn't noodly. It all has a purpose, unlike some other guitar heroes I could name. <laughs> Joe Satriani. <laughs> Well, you don't really get the sense that he's trying to be a guitar god in any no. sense like them. The, yeah. He's not trying to conquer anyone. No, this none of this sounds like showing off just to show off. It, this Everything he's doing has a purpose. Yeah, it's, it's never just meatily, meatily, look at my amazing technique. It's, he just right. goes. Yeah, this rules. Uh, <laughs> this I, I just love that that guitar style. It's It's similar to... What we heard from uh, Tenariwen back on the on the Molly episode, but uh, you know, it's it's rougher and and rawer and and Tenariwen kind of sounded like they were just playing out in the wide open desert, and this sounds like they're playing it, you know, in a basement somewhere. It's really <laughs> it's got much more of the, a, a rock edge to it, which you know, as you know, Joe rock fan, I I really like, <laughs> and it it really shows you that you know music finds a way. If you have to build your guitar out of bicycle cables and wood, then that's how it's going to happen. That's yeah. it, It's really, it's necessity being the mother of invention, really. Mm-hmm. And I'd say if you're dedicated enough to learning an instrument that you build your own out of whatever scrap materials you can find, you are destined to become great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no stopping you once you've, no. once you've gone that far. Exactly. Yeah. And there are some interesting differences in the movie between it and Purple Rain. So, like, the love story is a lot less racy because Niger is a heavily Muslim country. And so the two aren't even able to hug or kiss. 
Um, yeah, but uh, that also means it's much less misogynist than the love story in Purple Rain. Like, there's no, you know, singing Darling Nikki on stage just to shame Apollonia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Purple Rain has problems. And the acting in the Tuareg version isn't great, but it's also not great in Purple Rain. So uh, I would say they're comparable, If uh, and this one might be a little bit better. Yeah, I've never actually bothered to see Purple Rain. So. I never have either. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It just has, you know, it's of its time. Yeah. All right, so are we done with Emdu Mokhtar? No. No, we are not. We are not. Never. This next song is another Emdu Mokhtar song. This is called Tarhada Zed. It's like seven minutes long. It's such a sweeping guitar epic. Yeah. So, Amanda, this is going to shock and distress you, but your cousin Larry has tricked us and discuss- into discussing contemporary music. <gasps> <laughs> so, Tarhadazet is the centerpiece of Mukhtar's album, Elana, open parentheses, the creator, close parentheses, which came out in 2019. No. That's right. <laughs> only 20 years ago. <laughs> Since there isn't a market for albums in Niger, it's probably worth explaining how his music got recorded in the first place by anything that wasn't a cell phone. Uh, So the answer is Christopher Kirkley, who's a traveling ethnomusicologist who runs the blog Sahel Sounds and aims to do it for Saharan music, what John and Alan Lomax did for American roots music during the Depression and onwards. So the story of how Kirkley tracked down Emdu Mukhtar is a truly impressive act of hard nails investigative research, and I'll link an an Esquire article about it in the show description. Uh, but he directed Rain the Color Red, etc. Uh, and he raised funds for it on Kickstarter, actually. Hmm. Uh, it made one and a half times its goal. And it's um, and he served as a general impresario for MDU's music on the global stage. And he gives him an equal share of the profits. So uh, oh, MDU McDowell cool. doesn't get screwed out of anything. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like a chameleon between the trees, Mokhtar's style changes from album to album. Uh, in fact, his first his first album where he... <laughs> yeah. And uh, his first album actually had a lot of auto-tune on it. Uh, I haven't heard it, but I'll put a clip right here. And I get the sense that he's a musician who just has the music within him, able to like adapt anything to his vision. Uh, so you might notice that this sounds a lot like a lot of American guitar rock along the lines of Hendrix or ZZ Top. 
Um, and there's even some shredding that sounds like Eddie Van Halen later on in the song. Uh, R.I.P., by the way. Yeah. to me that opening riff kind of reminds me of wheel in the sky by journey which is not an insult <laughs> i like that song yeah i love That's it probably the best journey song it's yeah. the other journey song that was used on the sopranos nobody talks about that anyway the explanation for that is as we've said again and again there is no youtube no spotify generally no internet in most of niger uh so but emdu hadn't heard any of these artists until he started recording and touring in the west uh, much like prince so uh what you're what you're hearing is him channeling artists that are old to us but he just recently heard for the first time and f-ing loved them and he's pretty great at it yeah he really really is this sounds like prince to me I am oh, yeah. not a Prince super fan. Like I said, I've never even seen Purple Rain. So there's probably better examples out there. But the beginning, the very beginning of this reminds me of the ending of Let's Go Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. It's super cool. I think he is just an amazing guitarist. And this is what, like nine minutes long? And it's not long mm-hmm. enough. I think it's like seven or I don't eight. Know. However long it is, it's not long enough. This whole track <laughs> rules. It turns out you just throw some awesome guitar rock on top of some super interesting African rhythms, and I will be deliriously happy and listen to it all day long. Yeah, this song rules even more than the last one. Yeah. This this is just a guitar fireball. And actually, I have right in front of me my brand new unopened copy of the Alana the Creator album, which just arrived at my house about an hour ago. I'm excited to listen to it. I bought it. Purely on the strength of this song, just because mm-hmm. it's so great. I was listening to it earlier on Spotify, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up the album. Uh, the, I promise I'll pick up the album. In fact, I'll <laughs> let you, uh, MD Mokhtar mm-hmm. is on Bandcamp. All of his albums are available. So yeah, listeners, you should go check him out. Yeah, yeah, I did the same as Rich. I listened to some of the album on Spotify and thought I need to own this. You know, I might be in my late 30s, but I can remember hearing people like Jimi Hendrix and and, and Van Halen and, and all these people and, and Prince. Uh, for the first time and and being blown away by it. So and I I can hear that feeling in the music here, and it, it's th- that feeling of of having discovered that that there's so much of this great music out there that you didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. Sort of just like I feel listening to this. So the the feeling kind of <laughs> kind of carries over. Yeah, it goes both ways, doesn't it? It does. And if you want to hear uh. Uh, a twelve and a half minute version of this song. Uh, M. Du Mokhtar played this, played a version of this song on the Adult Swim show Fish Center Live in front of a, a backdrop of tropical fish swimming around. That did not come on, up in my research. <laughs> you no. can find it on YouTube. It's it's a lot of fun. That will go in the show description as well. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right. So now I think we're done with M. Du Mokhtar. This next song is by Bombino. It's called Amidanine.
Bambino's name is derived from the Italian word bambino, meaning little guy, which means it's linguistically accurate for me to call him the Great Bambino. (laughs) (sighs) That was from the Sandlot, Amanda. Okay. (laughs) Being very respectful. So Bambino (laughs) is the subject of the 2010 documentary Agadez, The Music and the Rebellion, uh, which is also available to rent on Vimeo. So I watched it. So the film is aimed toward a Western audience, and it's a little bit manipulative with its camera angles, music cues, and just general narrative about the deep desert as a place of constant hardship and conflict. Uh, I I think that Rain, the Color Red, etc., was meant to be kind of a corrective to things like this, but it's still a really good documentary. Uh, if, If you keep that in mind it's a good reminder of the context of Tuareg guitar music and and that living in the desert is to quote the film the most difficult thing a human being can do (laughs) it's pretty hard Uh, so this is partially a very proud aspect of Tuareg tradition a long-standing desire just to live in isolation Uh, but the Tuareg have also been royally screwed over by the post-colonial division of territory and resources in Niger, uh, and there have been numerous uprisings over the years including one in Niger from 2007 to 2009 which brings us to Bambino. Uh, so the Nigerian government responded to the, to the 2007 Tuareg rebellion by banning guitar music, uh, seeing it as a tool of rebellion. And when I say... <laughs> They're not wrong, <laughs> but it's a good thing. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> wait until you hear. This isn't banning music in like the footloose, you'll be ostracized by the community and John Lithgow and sense. Uh, the government actually executed two of Bambino's friends and fellow musicians, uh, leading him to take exile in Burkina Faso. Uh, So, like I said about the film, I don't want to paint Bambino's music as nonstop hardship and sorrow, but either way, this is genuine protest music. And I just want to be clear, I'm not condoning governments banning guitar music. (laughs) It's just that, you know, rock and roll has always been a tool of rebellion, and that's one of the things that's awesome about it. And that's clearly the same the world round. Honestly, I don't want to romanticize it too much, but reading about this music and hearing it, you do like really get like, it does really renew your faith of music existing, even the most extreme circumstances. Oh, for sure. And I feel like I sound a lot more casual about that than I intend to be because this is extremely serious business. Well, there's a happy ending, at least for Bambino. He safely returned to Agadez in 2010, uh, but he spent more than one period of his life in exile, and he actually honed his guitar style while his family was in exile in Algeria in the early 90s. Uh, and he, uh, so much like Emmanu um, Maktar, uh, so he watched videos of Jimi Hendrix and Mark Knopfler. Uh, to me, you can hear that in the music. Like, what you get in Bambino's music is sort of a blend of traditional Tuareg music, uh, and you get both, like the fireworks of Hendrix, and then you have, like, Mark Knopfler's surgical minimalism. And to me, it's pretty mesmerizing. Those are two guitarists whose styles I would not have thought to blend. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Well, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but uh, I have been familiarizing myself uh, with the entirely wrong version of this song. Uh, it's, <laughs> compl- it's completely different from the gentle acoustic version that we just heard in that clip. The, the version oh. I've been listening to is a stomping blues rock song. Oh, uh, wow. And very, very electric. Yeah, on, on the album cover, there is a guy on a motorcycle in the desert, popping a wheelie with a, a guitar over his shoulder. And that, that really summarizes the, the sound about as well as I can. And what I think is, is neat is that, at least the version I heard, it's, it's this very swaggering kind of 
song that, you know, somebody like the Black Keys would just kill to be able to write. <laughs> and but the lyrics are just, they're all about friendship. There's just a different approach to lyrics in all these songs. Like, there's no posturing at all. It's so sincere. And I think that's really refreshing. Yeah. You know what's funny? Uh, Bombino has actually worked and toured with Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys. Ha! Really? Yeah, so, yeah. What do you know? You saw underneath the music, you found a cross-cultural connection. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, this is wonderful. Uh, I've been listening to that same nice acoustic version that we heard the clip of first, and I just love the hand claps in it. Combined with that, it, the driving percussive guitar, it makes for an amazingly catchy song. And many of the songs we've talked about on this project depend on crafting one particular groove and then writing it out for several minutes. And Will talked about this in a previous episode. And this is one where the groove really, really works for me. And admittedly, I'm having a much easier time than usual on this batch because a lot of these songs sound a lot closer to the rock music I'm more familiar with than the prior ones did. So it's, I'm having a much easier time grabbing onto them. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of the closest thing this podcast has to a rockist, even though I don't mean to be. These songs are making me really happy that guitar rock is alive and well and living in and living in West Africa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I lean more to the rockist end of the spectrum than the poptimist one, but it's I don't know. It's hard to categorize people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. If we are done with Bombino, let's move on to our next track. This is by Mamar Kasi. This is called Karma. <laughs> is the musical project of Yakuma Mumuni, who left his village at 10 years old after his father's death. Uh, and then he walked 200 kilometers to Niger's capital, Niame, looking for work. And that took Oof. six days straight, by the way. Oof. Yeah. So he became houseboy in the troupe of vocalist Absatu Dante, uh, whose sister was director of the National Ballet of Niger. So during Mamuni's off hours from chores, Dante would uh, taught him the various musical traditions of Niger, as well as how to play that favorite of discord and rhyme instruments, the flute. <laughs> you can't really hear it on Karma, but his playing is very prominent you know, on the title song from Mamarkasi's 1999 album Denke Denke. So I'm going to play that right now. <laughs> Very Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> Inventor of the flute. I like. 
I do too. Yeah, I knew you guys would. <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about Tuareg music, which is another byproduct of the uh, of the artist that Larry is into. So it's Larry's fault, not ours. <laughs> <laughs> No, thank we're you, just doing what we're told. <laughs> uh, but the Sahara is big, like way big, in case you haven't heard. Uh, and it has a vast range of peoples and cultures. And Mamarkasi is a really great illustration of that. Uh, so the band's name refers to Askia Muhammad I, the emperor and military leader who extended the Songhai Empire into the Sahara in the late 15th century. So the Songhai Empire was the largest empire in West African history. And under Askia Muhammad I, it underwent a major cultural revival flourishing as an artistic and trade center. And in the process, he brought together different ethnic groups, such as the Fulani, the, host, the Hausa, the Zarma, and the Tuareg. And that's just barely scratching the surface there. So Mamarkasi's ensemble intentionally mixes together instruments from different Nigerian tradition, traditions, including the Kalangu, a type of talking drum originating from the Hausa people, the Molo, a lute from the Zarma people, the calabash, a percussive gourd instrument used by the Tuareg, and it actually like sits in a puddle of water as they as they play it. Hmm. Um, and the goje, a two-string fiddle used among the Hausa and Zarma peoples. Um, and these are broad generalizations uh, for like instruments that have a bunch of names across a bunch of cultures. But the point is that Mamarkasi intentionally represents as much of Niger as it can hold, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. And part of why we've got so many songs from this region of the Sahara is because Larry's wife is from Niger. Mm-hmm. And in oh. fact, Mamarkasi is her favorite band. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. actually, this song touches on some of her family's history. They were involved in one of the rebellions that he's singing about, which is just super cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think this song is wonderful. The Goje sounds fantastic. And whatever is happening a little over three minutes in, I think that might be the lute, is just amazingly good. Uh, that There's a spoken word bit in the middle that's a, a brief history of the fight against the French colonialists, and that is where my cousin-in-law's family comes in. And even though I can't understand it, I just love the delivery. I think this mm-hmm. is really, really good. Yeah, I mean, it's spoken word, but it's extremely rhythmic. Like, he spits it yeah. out, like, really, really fast. It's very forceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really, really cool. It's it's closer to, I think, a, a lot of people's idea of what African music sounds like than you know, the, the last few songs. But, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't like it any less for that. It's it's really, really cool. I love the, the talking drum. Have we talked about the talking drum on these Not episodes? Not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we could have talked about it on the Fear of Music episode. We, we should have done a producer mic, but that episode was so long as it was. <laughs> there was a lot of there was a lot to get through. And a lot episode. of you talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but the, the talking drum is great. Yeah. T- the talking drum is. It, yeah. It's a really cool instrument. It's you play it with a, a curved stick and you hold it under your arm. And when you squeeze it, uh, it, it changes the tension of the drum head, so it, so it changes the pitch, and that's how, you, that's how you make it talk. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want one. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have one. Yeah. Yeah, when I saw Angelique Kidjo <laughs> earlier this year, uh, there was a talking drum player, and you just move it all over your body and play it just uh, in as many like positions and pitches as possible. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and by the way, I've neglected to mention, but that Houses of Motion cover is uh, that we open each episode with is part of an album where she covers the entirety of Talking Heads' Remain in Light, and it's really great. Hmm. Yeah. But anyway, back to Mama Cassie. Yeah. Well, I... 
I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm also I'm also a big fan of the Goje. I think that adds a lot. This isn't one I have a ton to say about. I just I just think it's really cool. It's just so good. So yeah, the official Discord and rhyme position on Mamarkasi is good. Yeah, and there are a lot of videos of them on YouTube where you can see Yakuma Mumuni uh, just, you know, dancing and being a generally wonderful stage presence. I'm going to have to look that up. That sounds fun. And also, I want to see these instruments. I want to see them being played. I want to see what they look like. All right. So let's move on then to a track by Prince Nico Mbarga. This is called Sweet Mother. And we're moving to Nigeria now. Yes. Well, I'm not. We're not allowed to leave the country anymore. (laughs) Certainly not to take all our germs into Nigeria. I never forget you For this suffer way you suffer for me yeah. Sweet mother I never forget you For this suffer way you suffer for me yeah. When I had right My mother to carry me She gon' say my baby What you had and cry Yeah, yeah, stop that Stop that, stop that, make you no cry again, yo. When I was asleep, my mother had to fetch me. Alright, that was released in 1976 and has sold over 13 million copies across Africa, which is more than any of the Beatles singles ever sold, but not more than Elvis, so there you go, Ben. <laughs> and suck it, the Beatles. <laughs> Nico Embargo was born in 1950 in rural Nigeria, just across the border from Cameroon, where another one of my aunts used to live, actually. Uh, he grew up relatively privileged, by which I mean his father had a paying job, and he was one of the very few children who were able to go to school, and their family owned a radio. So he heard a lot of high-life music, which is traditional beats and rhythms played on Western instruments like trumpets and saxophones, and as a child, built his own xylophone out of dried bark and plantain skins. So again, you build your own instrument, you're going to be awesome. I think there's some calypso in there, too, in high-life. Yeah, it sounds like it. Nico's father died when he was quite young, and his mother was left to provide for four children on her own, which of course was incredibly difficult. And then the Biafran War started in 1967. I'm not going to get into that history here. You can find that elsewhere. (laughs) Yeah, so one thing about Nigeria, I I try to provide some context, but uh, Nigeria is huge. It's the Mm -hmm. seventh most populous country in the world. Like, asking to summarize it is like saying, summarize Germany. So (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we're just going to go song by song. Yeah, that's that's not really what we're here for. So when the Civil War started, uh, he figured this is an excellent time to get out of Nigeria for a while and start his music career. So he headed over the border into Cameroon and found a job there as basically a roadie for a Congolese band who was there and taught himself how to play several more instruments, including the Congolese-style finger-picked electric guitar that you hear here. He moved back to Nigeria in 1970 and formed a band called Rocafil Jazz. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, They had one or two regional hits, and then they hit gold with Sweet Mother in 1976. It was released on a small local label called Rogers All-Stars, no relation to me that I'm aware of, (laughs) (laughs) and eventually gained traction thanks to a DJ in Lagos uh, named Benson Idonije, who had recently started an FM radio station just out of his house. 
and who really, really liked Sweet Mother. And he's, uh, I read an interview excerpt from him where he said every phone call he got was people asking to hear Sweet Mother over and over and over. So it, it just it spread throughout West Africa and then over the whole continent. But unfortunately, due to piracy and other terrible factors, nobody involved with the song really saw the money they should have from all those sales. And the band broke up shortly after this. Uh, Nico Embarga built a hotel, which he managed and performed at every week and was able to live comfortably for the rest of his life, which is, you know, a lot more than a lot of people could say around that time from their art. Uh, Made 17 more albums, actually, but didn't have anything as successful as Sweet Mother. Then in 1997, uh, Rockefeller Jazz got back together and Nico Embargo was on his way to pick up visas for their upcoming tour of the United States when his a car hit his motorbike and he was killed. Mm. Terribly sad ending. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what do you guys think of the song? It's been stuck in my head all week. This is the stuck no. in my head award. I think maybe <laughs> of this entire compilation, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mentioned earlier that Ali Farcature is one of those artists who makes music feel really, really big. Uh, in, in this case, I feel especially humble just learning about the biggest song in African history, the song I'd never heard before. Yeah, like yeah. like the, the one that sold more copies worldwide than I Want to Hold Your Hand. Like, uh-huh. uh, if you go to the Wikipedia page of, like, best-selling singles of all time, yeah, this is on there. Like, I read right, that page, Right too. alongside White Christmas and all of the other, yeah, you yep. know, songs that us white people know about. yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is where I'm going to be a rock guy because uh, this um, because uh, like a lot of Americans, my exposure to uh, like quote unquote authentic African music is Lady Smith, Black Mombazo, and the Boyoyo Boys on Paul Simon's Graceland. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, and the musicians on that album are South African. I'm aware, but but Sweet Mother doesn't sound that far off to me from something like Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes, and it, mm-hmm. it's definitely the closest thing to it on this whole playlist. We're talking about diamonds on the soles of her shoes. I'm wondering if the song was just, uh, or like the high lifestyle was just like popular enough across the continent that it got, that it's just like an influential song. I don't know. I might be like going beyond my analytic abilities. No, it's possible because Graceland also had a lot of Zydeco music uh, incorporated into it. And that sounds similar enough to what they were doing with high life. Yeah, I can see the the common DNA. Yeah, it was a blend of different influences for sure. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a happy major key song it's like like a lot of like a lot of graceland is so i can, I can see the, the the similarity there mm-hmm. yeah and these songs are all really long by the way this one is nine minutes long and it's it's happy just to hang out with you and just oh, yeah. basically be the same for the entire song and i personally yeah. don't mind yeah this song is just so likable and writing a song about your mom is always like that's you're taking a risk there Mm-hmm. You, you could easily end up with something just like horribly schmaltzy, like uh, for instance, Elvis Presley's "Mama Liked the Roses," oh. which is which is a bonus track on "From Elvis in Memphis" that Phil did not mention on his episode about that album for a very good reason. Because uh, it sucks. <laughs> because it's terrible. <laughs> but this song is just it, there's there's just such a, a a sweetness and warmth to it. And I like how it's uh, it, it's about how like your mother takes on just so much suffering for you. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a sweet sentiment, but also like a very like real one. Yeah, yeah. And and this this song kind of bridges a little bit of a cultural gap. And first of all, I want to say I love this one. I think it's just lovely. 
And it did use some innovative like instrumentation and rhythm and melody and whatnot, but he's singing about a very traditional concept, which is loving and respecting your mother. And it's just, it's exactly what the title suggests. It's he, he wrote a love song to his mother and it's just wonderful. I absolutely love that after his mom worked so hard to keep her family afloat, this really wonderful ode to her became such a massive international hit and is still very much loved today. Like you hear it apparently at Mother's Day church services and at weddings and it's like everyone loves it. It's one of those songs that just is has become a standard from what I understand. So yeah, this this song is really, really great. I think it's my favorite one on this batch. Uh, and another interesting thing about it is it's sung in Nigerian Pigeon, which is an English-based Creole. It works as a lingua franca throughout Nigeria. Um, I did a little bit of reading on it because I think Creoles are really interesting. And it mm-hmm. doesn't have official status as a language in Nigeria, but it does have its own consistent grammar and pronunciation rules and seems to be a very well-established way of speaking, as far as I can tell. And I just love listening to it. It has a wonderful rhythm. Yeah, I read that the pigeon is actually like part of like how the uh, how the song like took across like so many different cultures and so many mm-hmm. different nations. Uh, and also that the song was a hit like so like, or like in the, er- the early 60s, uh, like this was shortly after like basically every African country decolonized after World War Two. And uh, this was, you know, one of the first just anthems to become successful across the continent. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I can't I I don't have a negative thing to say about this, and if I did, it would just be mean. Yeah, it, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. it would not matter. <laughs> Do not be mean to Nico and Berger's mom. Yeah. All right. So we are going to move on now to King Sunny a Day. The song is called Jafun Me. <laughs> Sunday Adeniyi in 1946 as part of the royal family of the Yoruba people in southwestern Nigeria. So if you get any emails from this guy, read them very, very carefully. (laughs) He started his career playing high life, but then he switched over to juju, which is a related form of music that originated in in Nigeria, developing from traditional Yoruba percussion. And the word juju here is derived from the Yoruba word that means throwing or to throw. It's completely unrelated to the witchcraft concept of juju from West Africa and Haiti. This has nothing to do with it. Uh, He formed a band called the African Beats. They were extremely successful in Nigeria, releasing several very popular albums there. And then in the early 80s, he got the attention of Chris Blackwell of Island Records and signed with them. Uh, The album Juju Music was released in 1982 and was a big, big hit, as was Synchro System in 1983. Juju Music was produced by Martin Maisonnier, 
who suggested breaking up the band's real long songs, like the ones we heard prior to this, into shorter, more radio-friendly tracks, so they just divided them up. And according to Ade, in Nigeria, we got used to nonstop recording about 18 to 20 minutes of music, but over here, the music should be track by track for the radio and the dance floor. It's like making a dress. One by one, the different pieces are joined together, but you can still see the lines where they meet. I think that is a wonderful way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the album got rave reviews in the U.S., and in the U.K., uh, NME re- included it in their top 10 albums of 1982. And it's credited with popularizing, quote, world music and opened a lot of doors for other African artists to make it through to North America and Europe. Uh, as for this song, I like it just fine, and I can certainly see why the album was such a hit, but I I can't connect with this one as much as I did to the prior ones. And I'm afraid for that reason, I, just, I don't really have much to say about it. I like it. I think it sounds really nice. I don't skip it, but I also don't have any interesting thoughts about it. Well, I listened to Juju Music a few times and Sinker System once. Uh, and one thing I think is interesting is that King Sunny Ade and uh, like Juju as a genre in general were, uh, like in the past, were incredibly influential on talking heads uh, who listened to a mm. ton of African music. Mm-hmm. But this was as a, but this was his recorded international debut, uh, and the album had a hotshot French producer who put in a bunch of synthesizers and lindrums and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and he'd also clearly heard "Remain in Light." Like, yeah. <laughs> so, so you're getting the influence kind of filtered back onto King Sunny Ade, uh, and yeah. I, I actually. I haven't heard this album. Uh, you won't believe this, Mike, but uh, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts is apparently like a huge influence as well. Really? You've never heard My Life in the Bush of Ghosts? Yeah, uh, I'll get around to it eventually. I, wow. I know. <laughs> I wish you all could see Mike's face right now. He's shocked. You would have laughed me out of the Talking Heads episode. <laughs> I'm not cool enough for Mike. I, I'm not worthy. Oh, you're going to love it, though. It's 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 like Remain in Light, but with like crazy sound bites all over the place instead of vocals. Yeah, but 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 again, like uh, this gets into like you know, influence isn't monodirectional. It's all a conversation, which I think is cool. Yeah, uh, this is an interesting case where I actually was familiar with this song, and I, oh, yeah? I saw it on the track list, and I was like, oh, I know this one. But That's it awesome. it, tur- it turns out that the version I was familiar with is an instrumental dub version that <laughs> I have on a a compilation called Nigeria Seventy, which is totally sweet, and you should all hear it, as you would expect from a a dub mix of anything it's it's a lot uh spacier and a lot heavier on the echo and really what it reminds me of is talking heads seen and not seen mm-hmm. huh. uh it sounds it sounds a lot like that as heard in the Discord and Rhyme theme music. Yeah, yeah. I could I could swap out that sample from for a, a sample from that, and and a lot of people might not even notice. Um, Do it. I want to see what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I I did recognize my error before we started recording, so I was able to familiarize myself oh, with the with the original version and and hear how it how it you know sounded closer to how they recorded it. I still like it a lot, you know, even when it sounds more like a normal song. I, I love how it has this very strong but very restrained groove mm-hmm. that that I like a lot. You know, the first time I ever heard uh, King Sunny Day mentioned, it was it was hearing Peter Gabriel talking about him in something. I don't remember what. 
Hmm. But uh, I can definitely hear how somebody like Peter Gabriel would would yeah for sure be all over something like this. Yeah, I also really love the the slide guitar solo. Oh yeah. <laughs> was Mark Knopfler, which is mm. weird because he doesn't really play slide guitar at all. But just just the restraint, just the, just the fact that he, he he's playing so quietly yeah. and in, in such a such a not in such a non overbearing manner. Yeah, and Knopfler's guitar style is often about as close to slide as you can get without actually being it. Yeah, or at least it has that kind of sound. So yeah, I get that. All right, I'm not going to say this very often, so don't get used to it, but thanks for explaining this song to me, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I do genuinely appreciate it. Hearing you guys point out what you like about it has made it kind of click for me a little bit more than it did before. So uh, as for Juju music, uh, as far as I can tell, it, it, I was trying to nail down the style, and as far as I can tell, it's a very broad term for like just the primary popular genre of Nigerian music, like uh, like kind of yeah. like how like rock can be described as guitars over a backbeat, and that describes just a very broad range of uh, American music over the decades. Like Juju mm -hmm. is guitars over intricate talking drum beats, uh, just done in rhythms that Western listener that Western listeners like us aren't accustomed to. So yeah, that was the idea I got too. So I was like, okay, how do I boil this down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we have saved my very favorite for the end of the compilation. This is Felakuti in the Africa Seventy with Zombie. <laughs> from the album of the same name, released in 1977. Felakuti is one of the major musical figures of the 20th century, and his story is a long and eventful one. NBD. Yeah. <laughs> and his story is a long and eventful one that even got its own Broadway musical. So I'm not going to be able to fit it all in, but I'll try to mention the most important things. And I'm generally not Mr. Historical Context Guy on this podcast. I generally approach music, you know, just like a, a big world of sound. But the context with Felakuti is, is a pretty major part of it, so I'm going to have to get into that. So Felakuti was born in 1938 in Abeokuta, Nigeria, to a feminist activist and an Anglican minister. While studying trumpet at the Trinity College of Music in the late 1950s, he formed his first band called Kula Lobitos, which played a mix of jazz and highlife music. And in 1967, he was looking to take his music in a different direction, so he began 
adding elements of funk as well as traditional Yoruba music, and the result was a complex, densely rhythmic, and extremely awesome music he called Afrobeat, which he remains more or less synonymous with, although Kuti himself also gave much of the credit to his drummer Tony Allen, who absolutely deserves it. And in fact, uh, Discord and Rhyme favorite and recurring character Brian Eno once said he might be the greatest drummer who ever lived. And who am I to disagree? Speaking of Remain in Light. Yeah. You're the greatest <laughs> drummer who's ever lived, Mike. <laughs> yes, that's me. He also changed the name of his band to Africa 70, and inspired by the Black Power movement in the United States, he decided to quit writing songs about love and start writing songs about political issues, such as Gentlemen, which satirizes colonialism, and this song right here, which takes aim at the Nigerian military junta that was running the country at the time. As you might imagine, fellow Kudu's music did not sit all that well with the Nigerian government, and it got him arrested multiple times. This song is believed to have been the catalyst that led to a military raid on Kudi's commune, the Kalakuta Republic, during which Kudi and several of the men and women living there were brutalized in ways I won't describe in detail here. <sighs> the entire compound was burned to the ground, and his mother was thrown from a second-floor window to her death. Over a song. Oh my god. Yeah. So, as for Zombie... It's a pretty great example of Felicuti's sound, and Afrobeat in general by extension. And if you like it, you'll probably like Felicuti in general, because this is more or less what it all sounds like. His songs were generally very long, and sometimes there would be only one or two per album. And a Felicuti song, such as Zombie, uh, generally begins with an extended instrumental introduction, featuring multiple saxophones, two of them baritone, and that unstoppable rhythm without which an album like Talking Heads Remain in Light just would not exist. There's Talking Heads again. Yeah, this mm -hmm. is basically the Remain in Light source code. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the point when most songs would have faded out, that's when Fella steps up to the microphone and drops some knowledge on you. Whereupon the backing vocals join in and the whole thing intensifies. Zombie, oh zombie, zombie. Zombie, oh zombie. Zombie, oh zombie. Zombie, not go go unless you tell him to go. Zombie, zombie, not go stop unless you tell him to stop. Zombie, zombie, not go turn unless you tell him to turn. Zombie, zombie, not go think unless you tell him to think. Zombie, oh zombie. Zombie, oh zombie. Zombie, zombie. Zombie, zombie, not go go unless you tell him to go. Zombie not go stop unless you tell him to stop. Zombie, zombie not go turn unless you tell him to turn. Zombie, zombie not go think unless you tell him to think. Zombie, zombie oh zombie. Zombie oh zombie. Zombie oh zombie. Zombie oh zombie. Tell him to go straight. Na joro jara joro. No break, no jam, no sense. Na joro jara joro. Tell him to go kill. Na joro jara joro. No break, no jam, no sense. Joro, jara, joro. Tell him to go quench. Joro, jara, joro. No break, no jam, no sense. Joro, jara, joro. Go and kill. Go and die. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. Fellow's music might have been written with a loftier purpose in mind than my own bumping enjoyment, but here in my safe American home, I'm just awed by the music itself. I mean, if this doesn't get some part of you moving you might need jumper cables across your heart. 
Well, I was familiar with Fela Kuti as a just massively important and influential musician. And also in the context of getting really angry at Paul McCartney, that time McCartney re- decided to record in Nigeria just for the hell of it. But I hadn't actually heard any of his music before. And I'm going to be honest here. I don't get it. And <laughs> it, it's not not why people like it. I can totally understand that. But it's it's just the music itself. It's one of those things where I can tell that it's excellent, but I just cannot crack my way in to the point where I actually connect with it. And I have spent a lot of time feeling guilty about this. But then I decided, you know what? I don't get the land lies down on Broadway either. And that doesn't make me a bad person. So You're tearing me apart, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, as soon, as soon as I saw that Mike had written a declarative statement, like your heart made me jumper cables. I saw like Amanda's eyes light up in the basement. There was a readout next to her that said activating. <laughs> No, I, I I totally get it. There's kind of there is kind of a tempest fugitness to it. Like, <laughs> uh, it's really intricate. Like I don't know. I don't I don't want to like come up with like a grand unifying theory of your taste, Amanda. I just well, I just no, kind of. I mean, you guys know I kind of hang with intricate music. I mean, I like the rest of Genesis. I like prog rock. <laughs> I just can't make sense of the land lies down on goddamn Broadway. Well, and... I, I don't I don't think Peter Gabriel can even make sense of that album. I'm not sure if anybody's <laughs> meant to make sense of it. <laughs> well, do. do... <laughs> To be so, fair, yeah, I totally get why this is important and why everybody loves it. I just don't get it. To be fair, uh, Questlove of the Roots uh, has this great story about when he was DJing at a Prince after party, and he was playing all this fella cootie because he thought Prince would be, would be really into it, and instead, Prince made him stop playing, and instead, Prince made him stop playing and put on Finding Nemo instead. <laughs> <laughs> So, I wouldn't yeah. do that. <laughs> well, pr- so apparently Prince wasn't much of a fan either. Oh my gosh. So Fela Kuti, uh, so Mike introduced me to Fela Kuti, uh, and I actually impulse called him up at Amoeba once to get an album recommendation. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I never call anyone up. I, I don't know what came over <laughs> me, but I just really needed that information. Uh, you told me to get the Confusion slash Gentleman twofer, and they were awesome. That's I a really good one. Them. Yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, no, I like, I like Fela Kuti. I haven't listened to him nearly as much as I should. His songs seem to follow like a very consistent formula and it's a very winning one. Like it, it takes a, it, it kind of reminds me of disco in a way, in the way like there's a big build that's meant to get you on the dance floor before the actual like spoken meat of the song starts. But, but the thing I want to talk about with the song is syncopation because it's been an element of basically every song on this playlist. Uh, And it's one of the most consistent elements in both Afro pop and just a lot of music I like, honestly. Um, So like quick theory, one Oh one syncopation is when you just put in extra beats off of the established rhythm, uh, creating polyrhythms. Uh, It's part of all dance music. And it's, it's the thing that makes you move. At least if you're one of those people who moves. (laughs) <laughs> um, but uh, so Felicuti and Africa 70 take it to its mathematical extreme, like basically creating a giant spider web of beats and notes. Uh, so like the waveform for this song, which I saw creating like the clips for this episode, uh, it has so many little peaks and valleys because they just cram in like something every spare quarter second they can. And it, and it all makes sense. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Just to just to follow, you know, you could follow one instrument in a fellow cootie song and just it's it's always got its own it's got its own little story being told almost and mm-hmm. the way it all fits together is just incredible 
Yeah, and Amanda, when I said intricate, I wasn't like trying to diss on your taste in music. I, what, what I mean, what I meant is like you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, it's it's more that like uh, sometimes sometimes with music, if it creates like a cool tapestry in my head, whether or not I like the melody, like uh, sometimes I'm just like, this is cool. <laughs> and in my own defense, this this song did make me move. I did some dancing around the kitchen earlier today <laughs> while I was going through this playlist. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to defend myself anymore. My opinion is what it is, and it is valid. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I mean, honestly, like, Fellow Cody gets, like, such lavish worship, like, across the board in rock criticism that it's interesting to hear a dissenting opinion. Yeah, he's one of those people you're, you're kind of not supposed to, you're, you're just kind of supposed to like. Mm-hmm. So. Then eventually I might try it again, see if anything changes, but not today. <laughs> I got a Black Sabbath album to listen to. <laughs> And then probably to our children's children's children. Maybe. <laughs> that's all. That's that's everything. That's the Africa playlist. Yeah, there. that's that's it. I certainly enjoyed it. Yeah, this has been great. Guys, please don't email me with all the reasons I need to like Fellow Cootie, okay? <laughs> We've gotten a few of those. I don't care for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, but this playlist has been great. Uh, I hope our listeners enjoyed this detour. And uh, I, I personally learned about a lot of new favorite artists. Uh, pretty much all of these artists are on Spotify if you want to dive into them further. Uh, yeah. But also check out their band camps if they have one. Uh, like I mentioned, Emdu Mokhtar has one. I know Bombino does as well. Um, or just find some other form of direct purchase. Uh, yeah, I found this whole project honestly really challenging. Mm-hmm. But in a way that was very enjoyable. For the most part, it was so great to spend some time in this musical world that I was completely unfamiliar with before. So, Larry, thank you ever so much for suggesting this project and giving us all these wonderful songs to listen to. Yeah, thank you, Cousin Larry. Your playlist makes me do the dance of joy. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> wow, I got grouchy toward the end of this one, didn't I? <laughs> Roll credits. What do you call this record? Thank you for listening to This Is Comp, a subsidiary of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. You can hear back episodes of this series and our regular album-focused episodes at discordpod.com, and you can also subscribe to Discord and Rhyme on your podcast app of choice. The opening theme music for this series is Houses in Motion, performed by Angelique Kidjo, and the closing theme is performed by Kenneth Crayley and based on This Is Pot by XTC, with new lyrics by Adam Smith of the Hector Collectors. And you can hear their music and Kenneth's on Bandcamp.com. Editing and production is by Rich Bunnell. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks, and in the meantime, be ever wonderful. <laughs>